The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for July 7th, 2021. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you on the back end of a lovely 4th of July weekend. Had a little 4th of July observed on Monday. I took the opportunity to go see F9. Yes, the ninth installment of the Fast and Furious franchise. What started as but a simple point break ripoff has now become a pop culture extravaganza, the likes of which we may never see again. Finally, a franchise that asked the question, When looking at all of the Die Hard movies, why did they make John McClane such a wimp? (laughs) I mean, Vin Diesel is supposed to be this grease monkey in, in East L.A. in the shadow of Dodger Stadium. And... Now he's somewhere between James Bond and Superman. <laughs> but I love it. I hope I hope at some point he he his love for family is so powerful that he literally shoots laser beams out of his eyes. That that that, that is my that is my goal. But you're not here for movie reviews. You are here for politics. And we've got some political stuff for you. We're finally going to do what needs to be done. And when it comes to the political media, we're going to clear out all the stuff that doesn't matter and only focus on the true stars, the media. There was a article in Axios that uh, I have a little bit of a response to specifically about how the rise of independent journalism is tied to the criticism of corporate journalism. We also have another story that I'm going to react to. This one from The Hill. Five big questions about the January 6th Select Committee. That is getting fired up by the House right now. I will answer those five questions for you. And we will be visited by one of my favorite people on the planet, Darren Kitchen of Hack 5. He's going to explain to us not only what is going on with the largest ransomware attack in world history that came to light on Sunday, but also what is and isn't realistic from any kind of federal response, specifically as it now has become interwoven into our relationship with Russia. All of that. Corporate media backlash fuels new upstarts is the headline for Axios on Tuesday. In it, the fine scribes at what I think is a a very capable outlet at Axios, one of the few blogs that feels built for the modern era, well-funded, well-capitalized, and I'm sure scrambling for any ad dollar they can possibly find. That being said, the article itself 
uh, goes through a bunch of uh, very popular podcasts, Substacks, and YouTubes. Specifically, the, the person that brings us into the story is the one-time team of The Hills Morning Show Rising, which is now Breaking Points, and pointing out that they use terms like, you know, the fake news New York Times. Of course, that is a verboten thing to do since it was words that were once uttered by he who must not be named. Something I find interesting about an article like this is how disconnected I find it from the actual reasons why this phenomenon is happening. The headline alone, Corporate Media Backlash Fuels New Upstarts, sets the tone for a piece that illuminates one trend. Independently operated podcast newsletters and YouTube series all bash corporate media. There are two reasons for this in my mind, either of which are particularly explained in favor of just sort of listing a bunch of people who indeed have successful podcasts and substacks. But I'll tell you my reasons. Here's the first. The reason why Matt Iglesias, Glenn Greenwald, Crystal Ball, and others crap on corporate media. Everyone hates their old boss. All of the brand names that realized they could be uh, connecting directly with their audiences were minted under some kind of corporate umbrella. Now, that might be a slightly controversial statement in that the blogging revolution helped to destroy the hegemony held by newspapers, diverting a once unbroken pipeline of writing talent into their the bloggers, private equity-fueled pens. That was until blogs started hemorrhaging cash, and now everybody's just sort of spread out. But let me put this more simply. Everyone that I have listed, including iconoclasts like Matt Taibbi, made their name and reputation cashing a check based on advertising. Now, this might be a pedantic point for some. Who really cares how these journalists get paid? But it is salient to me because aside from the dozens of people who might have read my movie reviews in the Daily Orange circa 2003, I have, at least as a personality and a pundit, entirely made my name in the untamed, unwashed internet. In short, to quote Bain, they merely adopted the darkness. I was born in it, molded by it. Then again, they also make a lot more money and speak to a lot more people than I do, so good for them. I guess even though Bain has the badass lines in that movie, Batman did win in the end. Here's the second reason why this trend is interesting to me. Corporate journalism is changing both economically and culturally. We're going to start with culture on this one. Podcasts like Blocked and Reported catalog the most extreme examples of liberal-leaning mainstream media becoming increasingly harsh in their policing of content. Take, for example... The Harper's Letter. Truly, in the opinion of yours, yours truly, uh, one of the funniest moments in journalism history. If you've never heard of it, let me explain it to you. You've got a bunch of pampered, liberal, art school, educated, tasteful, white wine on a Sunday ass discreetly inquiring about your New York Times crossword score writers upset because their feckless bosses are too affected by the blind rage of social media mob and the younger writers who champion the mob's digital justice honestly scared for the legacy of these institutions. 
And I don't want to damper how serious I think the, the, the signatories to this letter take this thread. They do believe that these institutions, because they have been around their entire lives, mean something. They are the rocks by which our very shared reality is built upon. For them to go away or be eroded so quickly is something that is not only damaging to them, it is damaging to us. The very media that creates the mirror for our society will be fun house warped. And how will we know what we even look like if that is the case? That is what's at stake for these writers, people who have dedicated their lives to their craft. And they all got together. And these the sharp minds we've groomed to chronicle our world have a master stroke to turn the tide. We'll all write a letter to Harper's Bazaar. <laughs> oh, is that not the funniest concept, right? How is that not like the funniest possible thing? I just, it just tickles me. If you've never heard of the magazine Harper's, it, A, it makes this whole thing even funnier. But uh, basically, imagine a liberal magazine that gets absentmindedly left in the front pocket of a tennis bag that is in and of itself locked in the trunk of a Mercedes and forgotten for months on end. That's basically Harper's. But no matter how hilarious I find that reaction, the exodus of moderate liberal thought from mainstream corporate liberal media institutions is real. And you can look at it as the drumming out of bad old ideas like the more left-leaning social media set does or the purging of fair thought. But the cold reality is that the institutions that are making, hiring, firing, and editing decisions are prioritizing the more quantifiable and engaged audiences of Twitter and Facebook and maybe not the casual reader that is not engaging at that kind of passionate level. The result is that a bunch of names Names that for either years or decades had access to the audience of these corporate giants are now, by either their own hand or some element of social or political force, free agents. And increasingly, they are realizing that the most freeing and lucrative option is to shill MeUndies on a podcast or write directly to your fans on Substack. Now, this is notable for one very important reason that was completely left out of that Axios piece. None of those names, from Barry Weiss, to Matt Iglesias, to probably even Matt Taibbi, want to go independent. Now, I don't know them, right? I'm not reporting anything that they've told me in some journalism group text. But maybe the fairer way to say it is that in a bygone era, they would not have had to go independent. And let's remember, a lot of the tools that you know, they are using now have been around for a long time. I mean, hell, uh, even Patreon is, you know, six or seven years old at this point. There have been ways to create a, uh, a recurring ad payment. Now, society is more comfortable with it, but we're getting into the weeds here. The reason why none of those names would have wanted to go independent before is that they wouldn't have had to in the past. And that gets, gets, gets me to what's really changed in this equation. 
Think about it like this. In the past, when a columnist at a newspaper that was popular with readers had a spat with their bosses over money or freedom to the point where that relationship was irreconcilable, the columnist would walk across the street and start writing for the other daily newspaper in that market. This happens in television, and it certainly happened in the world of politics. If you had a following and you had a brand, there was going to be a corporate outlet that would pay you to be a part of their team. But we are long past the era of the big payday for a jilted employee in a mainstream newspaper. And we're also past that era for television, aside from maybe three or four jobs. The weird thing is, we're even past the era for that in blogging, when one writer could get showered in money to start their own blog network. That used to be the safe money. It used to be where all the names that we have listed would go to another corporate outlet. They're not going independent because they want to. They're doing it because it's their best option right now because corporate media is in decline. Now let's get back to the point that Axios was trying to make. That when you're trashing corporate media, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. Indeed, I think it's a good thing. The idea that quote-unquote corporate media is something to be revered is out-and-out inane, in my opinion, even at the peak of their powers. Different corporate media outlets would shred the credibility of rivals, doubt their reporting, or insinuate they were corrupt. Journalism, like science, is a discipline. It should withstand scrutiny, even unfair scrutiny. And if at the end of the day, down here in the darkness, a few writers can collect some coin for it, well, all the better. This is a segment I like to call stealing content. (laughs) We're going to steal some content here for you. The Hill has five big questions about the January 6th select committee. A reminder that initially there was thoughts that this would be bipartisan, that it would end by January or sorry, by December 31st of this year. The Republicans said, They didn't want no part of that. They believe that January 6th is and has been investigated by both law enforcement and various other congressional committees. The only thing that would happen with any kind of bipartisan investigation into the Capitol riots would be democratic demagoguery designed to change the narrative uh, between a midterm election that they historically don't have a chance in. That means Nancy Pelosi is now fully in charge and there will be a fully Democratic RAN committee into what happened on January 6th. And so I am going to steal the five questions big though they are, that the Hill listed, and I'm going to answer them for you, myself. Number one, will Republicans participate? No. That was easy. Man, I'll tell you, this article itself, man, it's like a, like a 10-minute read. I could blast through this super easy. Man, stealing content rules. Question number two. Will Pelosi accept McCarthy's picks? No. (laughs) 
Two out of five down. That's pretty good. This one's a little bit more complicated. McCarthy can nominate people to the uh, uh, to the panel. Pelosi has uh, a full power to put whoever she wants on it. So expect this to be a song and dance that everybody pretends is an open question. But no, I mean, the Republicans aren't going to participate because they want this to be. They basically want to use the Democrats blueprint for the Benghazi committee on the Democrats. They want to make this the Democratic Benghazi. Question number three. Will Donald Trump be called to testify? Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know who would be more excited. Donald Trump getting called to testify with a live mic in front of a bunch of House members. Who's more excited, Donald Trump or Rachel Maddow? I don't know who would be more excited. I don't know who'd be more. It would be, I would like to tell them it's going to happen and have a heart monitor on both and to see whose pulse goes up faster. I can't think of a better. Uh, a, a a better moment for Donald Trump than to go on television, something that he has been not given. You know, he's been out there doing these events, these these live rallies, and they have not been covered in the same kind of way that they were covered in 2016. I mean, unless you're on One America News Network. But that would be covered. Him getting called in front of uh, the House would be covered in on every news station. And he would be so Trump. Question number four. Will the committee have the power to subpoena lawmakers? Ooh, we Rick. That would sure be something. That's my official answer. Ooh, we Rick. That would sure be something. I don't think that it will. Uh, uh, ultimately, while the Democrats want to make this the most dramatic and intense thing they possibly can, if you're if you're subpoenaing lawmakers, boy, are you open yourself up to have a lot of other lawmakers subpoenaed, and that might be too close to pissing inside the tent, even for a partisan committee like this. And finally, question number five. How long will this take? Oh, that's easy. That's easy. How long will it take? November 2022. Nancy Pelosi has said that they are not going to put any kind of timetable on this. If they can, they will keep this some bitch rolling Until the day that the midterms are voted on. They want to make this the biggest possible thing they can. Here's the only way that it ends earlier. If America really doesn't care. You know, where in in the grand scheme of things does this rank next to Benghazi? Benghazi had an ambassador died. And... They were not protected by their country. That's what Benghazi had. January 6th has very, very, very uh, uh, intense video. It's got the death of a policeman, the death of a protester. And the Democrats are going to make it into the, the fall of democracy, right? So I guess January 6th, although I don't know. I mean, so my 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 guess would be that if the if the Republicans could make a meal out of Benghazi, then the Democrats will certainly be able to make a meal out of this. But then again, you know, Americans get confused or get 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 distracted a lot easier these days. There's a lot more things to pay attention to. Political media is more diffuse. And, you know, Donald Trump might step on a rake or something, and then we'll pay attention to that. 
So my guess would be this goes the distance. November 2022. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, of course, of course, you can support this very show. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 gets you two bonus podcasts each and every week. Our Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition, wherein we break down all the Sunday chat shows. Our Thursday edition is our late edition. That is the latest news that can be broken in a week. Uh, will come out as part of the Thursday edition. That's because we record our Friday episode throughout the week uh, previous to that. And you want to know what? We're just going to keep the the plug there today. I don't really have anything else. You guys are great. Maybe you want to... Yeah, I'll see. How about this? We we do like to, to give a free way to support this show. Here's a free way to support this show. If you enjoy the program, head on over to the podcast platform of your choice and give us a review. It's been a little while since uh, since we've had some, so if you uh, uh, you know feel that this show deserves a five star review, then head on over there and 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 give us one. It's a totally free way on the podcatcher of your choice that you can support the program. And to be totally honest, it does help because. Uh, when, especially when larger guests are kind of checking us out to see whether or not this is legit or just some fly-by-night nonsense, going over to the to to, to the i the the Apple or the Google stuff, it it uh it checks out. So do that or pay us money. Take politicsseriously.com. On Sunday, details emerged about the largest global ransomware attack in history. Reville, a group linked to an $11 million extortion of a meatpacking plant on Memorial Day, is said to be responsible for this one as well. Ransomware is a politically relevant issue because the Biden administration has drawn a red line with Russian President Vladimir Putin on cyber attacks, since many of them are launched from within Russian borders. Here to discuss all of this is an educator on all things hacking related and the founder of Hack5, Darren Kitchen. Welcome to the show, Darren. Justin, it's so good to be here, man. Uh, joining me from an undisclosed location, <laughs> you are you are out on the road, but you were nice enough to pull over and give me uh, uh, and and everybody listening some of the context here on this big ransomware story. So let's start there because it is the news of the day. Why and how is is what is happening right now the largest ransomware attack in history? Yeah, Justin, I'm glad you have me on to to talk about this. It's an important topic. And, you know, here's the thing. I I actually sent you my notes. I sent you an email with an attachment. So if you don't mind just opening that, you'll uh, (laughs) you'll have all the information you need on why this is such a big attack. Uh, Which for those of who who might be listening to that and saying, well, Justin, why are you such a crap interviewer? Why didn't you click on poor Darren Kitchen's notes and the attachment that he sent you? That's how these ransomware attacks happen, right? Right. And then this one is, uh, you know, this this latest one that's being dubbed like the largest ransomware attack in history by our evil is um, is just the scale of the, the nature of the beast when it comes to the fact that like everything is connected, everything is a computer. And, um, and these things can scale out of control quickly. In fact, I actually believe that the uh, perpetrators of this are a bit overwhelmed themselves considering initially the ransoms, you know, $45,000 a pop per endpoint per computer. And you're like, what's a yeah. computer these days? Like, a, you know, is, is the cash register a computer? He, well, actually, yes, it is. Uh, so. The fact that they're claiming 
a, a million different endpoint devices compromised through this patch management system. It's all the vendor, you know, the, there's this patch management vendor and it's, it's all of their clients. And so it's, uh, it's very, very, it's likely that it is indeed a million different devices. And so if they were actually going to get the $45,000 that they were asking a la carte, yeah. uh, that would, uh, that would add up to like a couple billion, you know, some, <laughs> some big ones. And instead, they're, they're going to settle for a measly 70 million in the old Bitcoin bucks, you know? All right. So, so uh, uh, we're going to walk through this and I swear to God, listeners, we're going to do it as slow as possible so we can just get a basic idea of this. The reason why this is as big as it is, is as you mentioned, there are firms that help, uh, maybe not technologically challenge, but gigantic companies that need to maintain certain levels of security. And the way you do that is by updating all of your software and making sure that all of your vendors have the most up-to-date operating systems. Right, Darren? Exactly. And so that's what this company that got hacked is doing, which also happens to mean that they have unusual access to all of the computers of all of their clients. Right. Right. And, you know, this actually kind of comes back to the last time I was on uh, in Oakland and we were talking yep. about solar winds. We were talking about this supply chain attack. And that's what's happened when we're all dependent on the various different vendors and their, you know, all these cloud platforms and things of that nature is, you know, there's a wonderful trickle down opportunity uh, for hackers to take advantage of that. So when we're, when, when we're looking at what this particular situation is, I, I, I remember uh, having a conversation with our friend Tom Merritt, who made the argument that these kinds of situations, the ones that break out into the news that are, like you mentioned, you know, hundreds uh, of millions of different endpoints are not what the ransomware people in general like. They like a clean situation where they can ask one person for uh, money and they're going to come back and give it to them. This is the second high profile, massive ransomware situation that at least has broken out into the news media for our evil. Is that changing? Do these ransomware oh. people mind this being big and, and messy or are, are, are they just getting greedy? Yeah, well, you know, you got to look at the economics of it. We've in, you you hit the nail on the head that we're definitely seeing a shift. You go back, you know, to the uh, mid two thousands, and at that time, ransomware was you know your three hundred to five hundred dollar a pop. Like I'm going to encrypt your documents, like pop up a thing, and and it was like more geared towards consumers, right? I'm going to yeah. shake down a consumer for three to five hundred dollars, and then. You know, obviously there has been a shift lately to much more large scale when you stop being so like tossing such a wide net and just trying to get any, you know, rando windows box from grandma you can to spear phishing companies that, you know, have the money to pay this and that will be losing, you know, millions of dollars per hour if they don't. So it, it behooves them to just like write a big check. Well, not a check, actually. It's, it's always crypto, which is when you yeah. get to that minute. But uh, yeah, you're, you're noticing a shift from that wider net to the spear phishing. And you're right, they're getting more pro high profile, um, as we've seen recently with the colonial pipeline, uh, you know, that affected the uh, oil distribution on the East Coast or JBS that impacted meat distribution in the United States. So, you know, these are much more high profile and that's going to continue to be the trend as this is becoming much, much more lucrative. And uh, that's where I would like to go. Because like you said, this is the trend. It is something that continues to happen. And it doesn't seem that the press or the political attention has uh, uh, calmed down the, the ransomware companies, even creating these brands. I mean, like our evil is now a brand in, in a way that I don't think uh, online uh, uh, criminal outfits tend to like attention. If something gets famous, then they'll just come up with another name because names are cheap on the internet. Uh, uh, let, let, let's get to why these guys are, are staying around. You mentioned Bitcoin. Why mm -hmm. is Bitcoin being more available, or crypto in general, being more available 
uh, uh, tied hand in hand with this particular you know, crime. Yes, you're absolutely right uh, that, you know, crypto and, and crime have like an intersection there. But first, I want to say that it's kind of amazing that life imitates art, imitates life in that you're right. <laughs> Our evil has a brand in the same way that F Society on Mr. Robot yeah. has a brand. Yeah. Right. So that's, you know, where does it, where does Star, Star Trek end and life begin? I don't really know. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in the, in the, 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 the tricorders we have in our hands called iPhones. Exactly. Um, and, you know, yes, um, the, part of why crypto or Bitcoin in particular is, uh, is the go-to here for the ransom is that, you know, Ten years ago, when it was like that wide net of like, oh, I'm gonna ha- you know pop all of these Windows boxes and hope that uh, you know uh, your your the milkman can pony up three hundred dollars, yeah. right? Uh, it was quite an issue for them because most people didn't know how to Bitcoin, right? Yes. And the a lot has changed in the last ten years, where you know these companies can more easily like, oh, okay, they, they just want some Bitcoin. You go down to an exchange and bada boom, bada bing it's in the public ledger and someone's been paid. And actually that's why this is such a terrible mechanism for a, for ransom. You would think like, Oh, you know, this is like the huge fallacy of Bitcoin is that it's like, Oh, it's anonymous. It's like, no, nothing could be further from the truth. Like the ledger is literally public. It's like, it's like Venmo, which is free. It's, it's not real money, but imagine if Venmo were real money and I were to give Justin a, uh, $13 and 37 cents to get a shout out at the end of the show. Yep. Uh, I've got the choice. If I want to make that a private transaction with an eggplant emoji, or if I want to make that a public <laughs> transaction and then everyone knows, right? Yes. This is, you know, Bitcoin is like always public, always eggplant. And, uh, it's, uh, a terrible choice. It's, I don't understand why, um, more ransomware folks aren't using some of the other, cryptos that are a little bit more private. Um, so hopefully that's at least one angle where, uh, uh, you know, law enforcement has some sort of recourse to kind of follow the money as it were, as, um, as we actually did see, uh, see recently as, uh, with, was it the JBS or the colonial pipeline? Now I'm getting those two mixed up cause they, they just, they both happen simultaneously. Well, but, uh, J- J- JBS was our evil. I don't. I don't believe that uh, uh, the colonial pipeline was. As well. it, in one of these cases, the money was was returned. Yeah, I think that was colonial. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was colonial, and and there you go. Because eventually, this stuff needs to come out of the system. You know. Yeah, and eventually, yeah. So, and and that will give you some way to know who is is is, is pulling the strings on all this. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see the the dystopian cyberpunk ransomware future in which a uh, a C suite officer is uh, heading to a train station with a duffel bag full of greenbacks. Well, I, I guess that that is the idea in in our old uh, television and movie uh, version of a a ransom or some kind of extortion. It's always, hey, show up with a bag of unmarked bills, you know, at the old dock house or something like that, or leave it in in uh, you know in, in a shopping bag behind the store, and and we'll pick it up. You know, make sure you're not seen. Uh, uh, that is not the case here. But then again. Neither is it the case that this has become particularly or these these organizations are becoming shy of of the attention. And part of the reason why, at least to hear the federal government tell it, is because these guys are not in America. They are in Russia and there is a tacit understanding amongst the Russian government and these hackers that as long as you are hacking things with dot coms, nets and EDUs and not dot RUs, then uh, everything is going to be fine. From your perspective, A, how real is that? And B, if so, why? Well, there's two ways to look at it uh, on on the technological, just Internet level. There's no borders. And, yeah. you know, the. the TCPIP doesn't care. Your packet gets to a server and it's it's just as happy if it's in Russia as it were if it was in the Caribbean. It's no big deal. Um, so when you look back previously at 
some of these ransomware campaigns, where it's literally just like, hey, let's weaponize and wormify literally any exploit that's kind of like the new hotness in the neighborhood, right? And try to get three to 500 bucks from, you know, uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry. Well, that didn't really care where in the world they were. Yeah. Um, now that we are seeing the shift into much more, you know, spear phishing campaigns and much more targeted operations to, to shake down companies that have the, the means to pay for this, you know, you think about the amount of money the Colonial Pipeline was losing, uh, you know, per hour versus how much was being asked for. It's kind of surprising that they didn't pay the ransom sooner. Yeah. Um, so th- there's that element to it. And, uh, and I can only speculate as to the, the, the political motivation as, you know, anecdotally, I'm aware that there is a culture in Russia where, uh, you know, oh, we're doing this for the uh, we're doing this for Mother Russia and uh, that's we're not going to get penalized for this. Uh, so, you know, there's no there no harm, no foul if uh, we're, we're hacking the, the you know, those Yankees. Um, so the kind of perfect storm sets itself up for us to be. Uh, you know, big old target on our back because, hey, we can pay. I guess that's the that, that that is the big thing is that no matter what, and you can you can uh, add all of this to the goulash between nationalism, a rivalry with the United States, however much the random, uh, uh, you know, a ransomware uh, a, a operator in Russia might feel that. Uh, at the end of the day, we're a rich country with a lot of money and mm-hmm. a lot of incentive to keep business moving. And, and it just feels like we're this big swinging pinata that has no idea that we shouldn't uh, click on every email attachment. Yeah, there's a reason why uh, the prince is in Nigeria uh, and is looking for your money from the United States and not the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's not. There's not. Hi, I am a prince in Michigan, and uh, I am uh, very uh, briefly out of power, but I can be back and pay you threefold if you yeah. only please donate to this Detroit bank. Yes, yes. Uh, I need your rupiah. Uh, what does that convert to again? <laughs> oh, never mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I guess yeah. That that is that is part of it. But let's let let's get into some of the actual uh, nitty gritty of of what's happening during something that I know that because you're, you're a, a listener to the show, you've heard me say is I'm baffled by why the Biden administration really wants to draw a big old circle around ransomware and cybercrime. Not because I don't think it's a serious issue. I do think it's a serious issue. It's because it's really hard to win. This is not something that you can just put your foot down and with a few easy uh, strokes of a pen, totally make this uh, a, a, a different story. Uh, Darren, from your perspective, if uh, 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 Joe Biden wanted to stop ransomware attacks, what can Joe Biden do? Not much. This is a, you know, brave new world. It's, um, you know, far cry from the proxy wars of, of old where you could, you know, point to, uh, you know, point to the, the death toll and then the, um, you know, the, the bombed out buildings and say like, oh, you know, in this other country, uh, uh, Russia and America are at it again. Yeah. Um, this is one of these things where you can just be like, oh, well, uh, you know, it's hard to attribute. You know, we can say like, oh, our evil is a... Uh, is uh, most likely a, a, a Russian organized crime gang that may or may not have, you know, permission from or support from uh, the nation state. Uh, that could all be false flag. You know, it's very, yeah. very difficult to do attribution when it comes to cybercrime. Um, and there's very little that uh, government can do to, to, to corral this other than, you know, I can see maybe some regulatory things that can be done. So short of that, uh, I think that what we're seeing is the like the very, very first steps of acknowledging the problem and saying like, oh, you better not. You know, yeah. th- these are these are the lines that you just can't cross, because at least then when it does happen and it will happen, uh, you can point back to that line. See, like, see, I told you we we you know, and, and part of that. I don't know if it's necessarily you, you got to think about who the audience is. Is is the audience of that message 
the adversary? Or is the audience of that message your local constituents that you need to now sell on whatever the new thing is that yeah. uh, will help the country better cope with this situation? Because right now, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's all private enterprise. You know, you look at the, the, some of the more recent um, attacks, they're not on the government, right? Yeah. They're on private industry. Now, it's our critical infrastructure. If, if, you know, the oil isn't flowing down the colonial pipelines or if, you know, meat isn't making it to the supermarket from JBS, that has a real impact to the citizenry, like in the same way that if it were a government run um, infrastructure that you would say like, oh, that's really bad. So there's ways that uh, that the government can get more involved, but uh, it would probably require a, a lot more uh, regulation and there really isn't within the uh, corporate world a lot of incentive to uh, collaborate with the governments and the law enforcement uh, therein. You know, I, I spent some time with a management consultant that was uh, specialized in cybersecurity and uh, specifically did training for you know the the whole C-suite on what to do in these situations where, you know, these exercises uh, of like, okay, your company's now hacked. Uh, there's about to be a, and at, actually at the time, it was before ransomware was the number one through Ransomware was a threat, but it, but it was more so the data breach, yeah. you know, the leak of all your customers, like, you know, your shareholders are gonna, are gonna uh, tank you when suddenly you're the next uh, Ashley Madison, right? Yeah. Uh, Far different than the directly lucrative, like, oh no, we're just going to hold all your data hostage, right? Give me money and, right now, <laughs> right? And so the the training from these management consultant types to you know these executives at these uh, you know massive massive companies were like, uh, I remember one exercise in particular, like, okay, you know this situation happens, what are you going to do? Here's you know here, who do you call next? And one of the opportunities was call the FBI. And at least anecdotally, I'm told that, uh, you know, nine times out of 10, uh, people in the room were like, oh my God, we have to call the FBI. You know, they're going to know what to do. And the advice from the management consultant firm was, was like, that is the last thing you do because now you've opened a, uh, you know, a ball of wax and suddenly there's, you know, regulatory stuff they have to do, notifying your shareholders and your customers and all this stuff. And it was kind of surprising but also I think people had this mindset that suddenly the FBI would like somehow have some sort of like secret weapons stuff that we don't all have. And it's yeah. like, nah, man, we're all, that's the, that's the funny thing about this is it's an equal playing field. Like literally the government is buying the same, you know, uh, cybersecurity, uh, defensive, uh, products that you are. Yeah. So, or, or that you, the, the, you know, big companies. There's no magic wand that the FBI or the federal government has where they can just, you know, open up the 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 admin tool on the Internet and find out exactly who did what and how they can track them down. Like there's there there is there is no master switch here. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned not without regulation a few times in that answer. So let's say that we are not dealing with kindly uh, ice cream slurping Joe Biden. And instead, we are dealing with a full manifestation of an Alex Jones fever dream dictator, Joe Biden, who is now going to make it his big edict to totally eradicate the concept of uh, ransomware against America and American companies and American government specifically. What would dictator Biden do? It's, it would mainly be setting standards. Um, you think about the critical infrastructure that we talk about, and it's not necessarily government controlled in, uh, in the first party sense. So for example, PG&E, right? Yeah. They're really great at, um, at, at catching fire, but they're also really, <laughs> uh, you know, a big target in California as they have the, uh, you know, the potential to black out millions of people. And, and what's running that grid? Uh, other than, you know, ancient wires that like to catch fire, a bunch of programmable logic controllers, you know, basically overpriced Arduinos, uh, AKA computers, right? Yeah. And what the government can do in those situations where they can say, they can designate like, hey, you, their private business, you're critical to the success of this nation. Um, 
And so we have these set of standards and these guidelines that you have to operate within when it, uh, as it relates to your security. And that may be, you know, cyber, that may be physical. It might be like, hey, you need to have 12 foot concrete barriers around your power plant, uh, power station, uh, substations and cameras all around them and things of that nature. Um, and there are similar, you know, kinds of, uh, um, guidelines when it comes to cyber, like, Hey, you need to have this many pen tests and you have to have, you know, uh, this well-equipped red team and you have to, you know, um, have this kind of level of patching and, and these different segmentations of your network. And also this level of reporting, like if something happens, even if it's just something low level, you got to report it to, you know, whatever the agency may be, the FBI or something like that. And that would be, uh, you just think about the amount of weight that carries, right? And we're talking about something like, yeah, really critical, the power grid, right? Yeah. Now try taking that same thing and applying it to literally every business that has that you can quote unquote class, classify as critical. Is it critical if suddenly there's a, an outage at meat processing? You know, the foremost meat processing uh, uh, company in the United States. Like, is it the end of the world if you can't go down to Arby's and get yourself like a quadruple roast beef thing? Well, I don't know. I mean, then again, I like vegetables, so don't ask me. I'm just saying what's critical. And then think about the amount of, you know, time and effort uh, it would take to apply those same rigorous uh, guidelines and oversight to every uh, industry across the board. Because, you know, yes, uh, the power grid, that's big. Oil, oil pipelines, yeah, that's big. But at where do you draw the line? And that's what that's exactly what um, Biden's trying to do is say like, okay, well, there, there's got to be lines. And I think that why we're seeing those lines is because you're going to have to be able to classify businesses into categories and say like, these are the ones that are going to have to meet these different standards. And you'll probably see some sort of tiered system. Uh, you know, it's, it may not be long before we get there. Yeah. I guess my only thing about, about drawing the lines is like, when you know, they're going to get run over, then why set them? Like, I just skip to the part where you're trying to uh, uh, shore up the, the 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 wall as opposed to saying, I swear to God, if this wall tumbles down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I say all of this and I realize the kind of impossible situation that my fellow, you know, sysadmins and shout out to all my peeps in IT. Uh, I, I feel for you guys. Like it used to be, you know, the, uh, the space of, you know, the geek squad, uh, and not the hot seat of, of the executive boardroom when it comes to, you know, Oh, we're patching all these, uh, it's patch Tuesday. We've got to take care of these vulnerabilities. Um, you know, and one left neglected and suddenly, you know, the, the, and, and these are, you know, it's not, it's every organization that doesn't have enough money towards IT and doesn't have, you know, enough resources when it comes to all of the things that they should be doing. Hell, even the government's in that same situation. So uh, we, we just, I mean, OPM is a perfect example of that. I mean, that was a very high profile data breach. Um, and that could have easily been uh, <laughs> ransomware. And I, maybe that'll be the next high profile target. Hell, just get the, just get the Fed and just be like, uh, listen, you're going to have to print us some more greenbacks or else. Yeah. You know, forget wow. this crypto stuff. You guys got the uh, you guys got the hundo printers. Uh, fire up the Xerox because we want our stack. Exactly, money machine goes brrr into my trunk as I drive away. Then yeah. you can get all your data back. Exactly. Uh, wow, that is that is a crazy a crazy thought even to go over. Uh, mm. All right. So, uh, uh, Darren, one more time, just some basic hygiene, because while I agree with you, it would be very, very hard to solve this problem nationally, if not impossible. We can at least safeguard for anybody who is listening to us, who works in a business, who may or may not get email from random people outside of the business. Darren, what are the things that, that people who are listening need to look for to avoid being the reason why one of these breaches happens? 
Well, you just need to acknowledge that the uh, landscape has shifted. You know, there's way more money in ransomware than there was previously in like, you know, doing it, pulling off a, a data breach and like trying to siphon some PII or some credit card numbers that you can sell for a buck 50 on the black market, uh, onesie twosie. Um, and so, so, yeah, that, that, that is, that is important to notice when, when, when we go from data breaches to ransomware, data breaches were basically like stealing goods from a store. You were then, yeah. you need a fence, right? You need somebody that can sell that you are selling that stuff to. And that yep. is a one extra step and B uh, you have no idea how lucrative it's, it's going to be. Maybe it's very valuable. Maybe it's exactly. really not and all that valuable. Course- and of course, the more of it that you put into the market, the less valuable that information then becomes. Because there's only so many people. Yeah. So oh, if, yeah. If, you, if you breach Snapchat and you breach Pinterest, you don't get the full freight of both halls of information because there's going to be a lot of shared users on it. And that information has kind of already been out there, therefore devaluing it. For ransomware, give me that cash. Thank you. I got that cash. Uh, uh, a doff of the cap to you, good sir, madam. They, exactly. they it's, go it's, on. Yeah, I'm not. It's it's. I'm not going to rob the store. I'm going to lock the store up. And if uh, if you want to be able to unchain the chains on the door, uh, you got to hit me up. Um, and it, you know, companies can't pretend that they're just not interesting enough to be hacked. At the end of the day, if they've got a bank balance and can afford to pay, well. You know, we're seeing more and more that this is lucrative. So we're this is probably only, sadly, the tip of the iceberg. And so for all of my brothers and sisters in IT, this is the time where you start beating the drum. And I think that this the executives are going to be more receptive to at least listening now when you say like, oh, you know, we got to patch all these things because esoteric IT thing here yeah. uh, doesn't, doesn't really resonate. But when it's the bottom line and more so than like, oh, our, our stock shares could tank if suddenly we're in the news because our per, our customers' personal information, they don't care about the customers' personal information. But suddenly when they can't process invoices anymore because all their computers have been encrypted, that's when uh, the, the IT folks might actually get someone to listen to them if they say like, yo, maybe we need air gap backups on the norm. So that's that's uh, that is a good actionable item here for all the sysadmins that are smart enough to listen to PX3. Do yourself a favor and and leverage big bad Revil whenever you're you're in your next meeting with your boss and you're saying, "Hey, remember that stuff I've been asking you for for the last decade and we've never had money enough for? This is what happens when I don't get the money to do this stuff." Yeah, and if they won't listen to you, just you know, spend a uh, spend a hundred bucks of your own money, uh, get a pineapple, do a little dog and pony show, uh, not to uh, uh, riff on anything here, <laughs> in the uh, the old conference room, and uh, suddenly they might uh, open their eyes. Uh, I, I'm joking; you don't have to get a pineapple, but no, but you could. And let's say they wanted to, Darren. Where could they buy a Wi-Fi pineapple? Oh my gosh, you know, the best place to get those is right from the source at hak5.org. Oh gosh, dude. Anyway, whatever. I don't know. I'm doing a fun, a lot of fun hacking stuff on Hack5 right now where we're uh, featuring a lot of wonderful uh, community-driven payloads. We, we just released a new tool called the Bash Bunny that is uh, ridiculous at doing, uh, what shall we say, involuntary backups. So you can talk... <laughs> It's this USB drive that does evil, uh, not USB drive stuff. It looks like a, a thumb drive, but uh, but uh, it, it does all sorts of nefarious hacks. And one of the cool things that the new one has is you can pop a micro SD card in it that's like up to two terabytes. So you can like back up your friend's computers because it's important. I mean, we should all be, course, you know. Yeah. yeah, it's best practice. So you can just uh, plug in the USB drive and all of a sudden it is involuntarily backed up to the to the to the card. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just pull that off. You know, we got some example payloads. So we're, uh, we're, we're showing off, uh, you know, some of the highlights from within the community uh, of some of these wonderful payloads to pull this stuff off. And honestly, I, I, you know, a vast majority of this gear is, is used to do exactly this, to raise some eyebrows in those conference rooms and be like, see how easy it was for me to pull this off? Now imagine as the bad guys. Imagine so. if you weren't paying me and I was getting money from you <laughs> the other way. Very interesting. Exactly. H-A-K-5, the number 5.org is where you need to go. Of course, H-A-K-5 on YouTube where 
uh, Hack5 has been providing this kind of uh, uh, education for years and years and years and will continue so. Uh, Darren, thank you for taking time out of your uh, out of your busy schedule to spend a half hour with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, your buddy, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to uh, see some of the fine wares of Darren Kitchen, you can uh, do so by visiting px3guest.com. If you'd like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Still accepting graduation uh, notices. I am going to give my convocation for all the students who either graduated from high school or college over the last two years that didn't get a proper graduation. I will shout you out. I will do my convocation for you. Just uh, send me your uh, name to theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live. Our newsletter is px3newsletter.com. And our podcast is px3podcast.com. Should you like an easy way to share this with friends, you can get merch, politics merch, at politicsmerch.com. Of course, you can always support us with a one-time donation, including paypal.me slash payjury. Our cash app is px3cash. And of course, there is Venmo, where we are we are in a constant situation to see whether or not Venmo Cash is real. Jesse wrote to me, I found this fake $20 bill in my Venmo account just for you and sent me 20 bucks. What a nice guy who proves that Venmo money isn't real. And then of course there's Gregory. Gregory sent me a $3 request. A $3 request that just said Venmo money isn't real. And because, of course, it isn't, I sent him $3. Now, he's the first person to do that. Nobody else try and do it because uh, now that the joke's played out, I'm not going to do it anymore. But Gregory got himself $3. You can support the show by sending me Money on Venmo to justin-young-20. Of course, physical items can go to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. The only way, though, that you can get bonus content is by going to takepoliticsseriously.com. That goes to our Patreon. The $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we missed during our free podcasting schedule and the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks on the Titanic $10 tier headphones Neil Dr. G the other half of Whiskey Wednesday Idris the government unfiltered podcast 100 mile runner Berkeley Steven Kathy Mack Zombie Doc D uh, really Methuselah Honeythuckle the Jet, Middle Age Mike, Dot Com Junkie, Calamity Zap, D Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, Anile the Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy Montana, Chad, David Snuffies off Route 44, Charles, Olin, and Angela, DL, Miranda, persons familiar with the matter. Can you believe that they're sponsoring this show? You've seen them quoted in almost every major newspaper over the last five years. Persons familiar with the matter, now an official $10 tier subscriber to PX3. What an honor. Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners. Brad, just another pilot. Will Frozen, Summers, J-Pink. And Andrew, one more time, you want your name on that list. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. All right. That wraps it up for us uh, uh, today. Friday's edition will feature the one, the only, the money man, Dave Leventhal. And I got to say, we're going to 
be a little experimental in the next few weeks. Not only are we going to bring back our uh, little mini history series lit about negative ads, but also I'm going to shake up the format a little bit on some of these Friday episodes. I'm going to do a deep dive on something that I love is the intersection of a lot of passions of mine, but I'm working on it now and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Keep an eye out over the next few weeks. Till then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.